nice when you first stand up after you've been singing and there's a glass of water there. But you're conscious as you're drinking the water that everyone's going, is he going to spill it down his front? But I didn't. I've done well today because I am one for spilling things. Anyway, it's lovely to be here again and thank you very much for inviting me. It's always a joy when I come here. It really, really is. Um, but before I go any further, can I just offer my wife's apologies? She often comes with me and she wanted to come this morning. But we've got a little bit of illness in the church and she was called in to be part of the prayer team this morning. But uh, she does send her love and best wishes and offers you a very happy new year as well. And I know next time when I come, oh, that's I am booked in again, aren't I? Yeah? God, I got two bookings at once. That's not bad, is it? You know? Normally you have to wait till the first time, then you hopefully get invited back the second time. But I've learned. Shall we put an extra date in while we're talking? Yeah? So she'll be coming with me, I know, next time I come. Have you had a lovely Christmas? And so have I. It's been excellent. It's been a, sort of the combination of quietness and noisiness when the grandchildren have been there and even noisier when my oldest daughter has been there. And um, it's been great, really. And I, but I was thinking about it last night. I was uh, sitting in the living room and I was putting the finishing touches to what I'm going to speak to you about this morning. And I was reflecting back on the last few days about what have been my favourite moments. And now I was thinking about the family and... I got some nice presents, I have to say, uh, from them and my wife. And, and I was thinking about just all the enjoyment we've had in the church services and the different events we've been to, wonderful concerts in the city. I, um, I think that the most enjoyable moments I've had were sort of, in a sense, nothing to do with it. And the first one is when I went to the cinema. I went to the cinema on Friday afternoon to see um, Cats. Now, oh yes, some people go, mm, mm. Well, can I tell you, being a musical fan, I thought it was absolutely brilliant. I thought it was wonderful. The critics I know have given it, panned it and all the rest of it. But in some ways, I'm not surprised. Because, and this is a true story, I sat in this seat, and the cinema was relatively full, and there was a young lad and his girlfriend sat behind me, and they were chatting away before the film started. And then it, then it came on screen and they suddenly burst into view all the characters. And he said to his girlfriend, it's about cats. <laughs> and she said, yes. I don't want to see a film about cats. I thought, whatever inspired you to come here? Where have you been? What's going on in your mind? Well, I started to laugh. And my wife said to me, don't laugh at him. It's not funny. It's not his fault. And I had to turn to him, I said, and there's loads of them. <laughs> and at that point, he sort of laughed. But unbelievably, well, no, maybe not unbelievably, he walked out halfway through. He said, I can't put up with any more of it. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I really did. Uh, and the other funny bit, really, was I went to a um, concert. Now, I don't know, Steve, if you know this young woman coming from the northwest, a, a lady by the name of Kat, Kate Roosby. Kate Rusby, she's a folk singer from Barnsley. So it's a bit further southeast to where you live and where we've come from. But anyway, she has a remarkable following around the, the country and very popular, nod of the head there. Well, I went to see her at the Theatre Royal. And the other highlight of my Christmas is that she sang all these wonderful Christmas songs. And I don't know if you know that in, in the song, Come All Ye Faithful, in Yorkshire, there are six or seven different versions of it. They've all basically got the same tune, but there's a few by gums here and by gums there that are different from one song to the next. 
But she sang a wonderful song, All I Want for Christmas, not my two front teeth, All I Want for Christmas is a hippopotamus. And I so enjoyed it. I didn't get one, but there we go. So I've had some wonderful moments this Christmas. And I've got to say, being here today is one of them as well. Uh, it really is. And um, I was thinking about it. Well, of course, what is it? Most pastors I know, any preacher that I know of, when you get to this time of the year and they're asked to come on the last Sunday of the year, they think New Year's. They think resolutions. And I'm no different. I was thinking about resolutions. We're at the end of 2019, the last Sunday, and people are probably, maybe some of you, are starting to think about resolutions. What am I going to resolve to do or not do next year? Well, I set myself a resolution last year to lose 10 pounds. I've got 15 to go. (laughs) So, I haven't had a very successful year when it comes to that. But I've got an excuse for it, which it's true, it's real, it's honest, it's pathetic in a sense. My excuse is I like food. So what can you do? What can you do? But resolutions, isn't it strange to sing about resolutions? How many people here set themselves New Year resolutions? Not too many people at all. There's a sort of a little if over there. You mean there's sort of a resolution, but I may break it tomorrow. That are really clear. And do you normally achieve them? Well done. I like that. Wow, that's great, isn't it? Because normally there's a great big bin. I sometimes think they ought to put it outside the forum. It's the bin of unfulfilled resolutions. It'd be full by the end of January. There's no two ways about it. Resolutions. Resolutions. It's a strange thing, isn't it, really? Well, I want to talk to you a little bit about a resolution that I'm hoping everybody here has made at some point in their life, and if you've not made it, that at some point very soon you will. And that's the resolution to follow Jesus Christ. To follow him regardless of what happens in our life and regardless of what goes on in the world, regardless of what threats come our way, what difficulties come our way, through the good times, through the bad times, that we have resolved to follow Jesus at all cost. Is there any better resolution than that? But you know, the sad thing is, for some, that resolution has been put in the bin. That big bin we're talking about of unfulfilled resolutions. But you can put it in there all you like. Because once you are gods, you are gods. My daughter at the moment has sort of drifted away. She won't mind me telling you this. She's, uh, she talks about it freely when people ask her. She's drifted away. I won't go into all the details. Um, uh, from being a very fervent follower to one who takes a distant interest. But I wholeheartedly believe that everything that's in me, the Lord will never let her go. And I pray earnestly that she will come back. Come back to the Lord. And also to this wonderful fellowship and family that we have the privilege to enjoy wherever we go. Not only in our own churches, but like me today with you. And you when you go other places as well. Isn't it wonderful to have that family around us? 
And as part of the, the joy and the blessing, if you like, one of the great gifts of abundant life, I suppose, that we have this family after making this resolution. We make this resolution. And I want to talk to you this morning about, well, as we heard from reading about Mark. Not about Mark, but about Peter from Mark's Gospel. I want to talk to you a little bit about what happened when Jesus told him that he would deny him and afterwards when he did deny him. And think about it in the context of the resolution that Peter had made so often over that period of time leading up to the last days before Jesus was crucified. So we're going to have a look at that. I've chosen to look at it from Mark's Gospel. It's in all the other Gospels as well. But there's something about what's in Mark's Gospel is clear and precise for me. And it hits home much more readily, I should say, than the others. Not that the others aren't rich in teaching and learning. It's just that Mark just sort of hits me for a particular reason. And this chapter 14 that we're going to look at, we need to be very mindful of what a busy and full chapter it is in the Bible. There's a few things here. It talks about the betrayal of of, uh, Jesus by Judas Iscariot. We have the Last Supper. Then we have Jesus' arrest. We have his appearance before the Sanhedrin. And then following on for that, we have this topic of this morning, the disowning, the disowning of Jesus by Peter. Disowning. It made me think about that, um, if you're familiar with some celebrities, the guy in Coldplay, whose name has just gone out of my head, just like that, Chris Martin, thank you very much, and his wife, or former wife, Gwyneth Paltrow, when they split up, as most of us would call it, and then divorced, and they used the word, we are uncoupling. Now, I find that really interesting, because people now are trying to come up with other words to say similar things, or if it's a different event, a new word to explain it. So my new word is disowning. Not a new word, really, is it? But I've used it today. This is about where Peter says he won't, but he does. Says he won't, but he does. And I know some people have looked at this, and I've heard them say in house groups and other places, how could he do that? After everything he's experienced, after everything he said to Jesus himself, after what he said to other people, how could he actually just suddenly disown Jesus? Seems amazing, doesn't it? Can you imagine doing it? You see, I can't imagine doing it, but I know I could. Because I'm weak. And I'm vulnerable. And there are times when I'm under threat. We had some of these, um, uh, a, a wonderful philosophical, I suppose, our, uh, argument, debate of what it was in a house group some years back. And it was, what would you do if somebody stood in your house and they were pointing a gun at your child and they said, I will kill your child if you do not disown Jesus. I refused to enter the argument. Not because I was trying to be difficult. I don't want to have to think about it. Let's hope it never happens. I don't want to think about it. I know what commitment I've made, both to my children and grandchildren, my wife, but also to Jesus. I hope I'm never put in that position. Though there are people in some countries that have been put in that position. Would I disown the Lord? I remember reading a book about the Holocaust 
or prior to the Holocaust, but it was about people living in Germany. And um, one Jewish businessman was speaking to a friend of his, and he said, what are we going to do? He said, there's no way am I going to actually go along with these people, but I know full well if I don't go along with them, they'll kill me. He said, I'll tell you what we'll do, he said. We'll disown our faith. He said, when it's all over, we'll get it back again. And he said, I can't do that. And indeed, throughout the story, you find that one does. The businessman stares away. I gave up the Jewish faith years ago. I don't believe in God. And he remained relatively successful under German rule. His other friend went to the gas chamber. Difficult, isn't it? Difficult. Wouldn't want to be in that position. So we're going to look at Peter. And where I'd like to start is just having a a glance, if you like, about some... Looking back at what's happened with Peter leading up to this point. You know, Peter had a very good start, didn't he? his Christian life. You know, he had miracles almost straight away happening. That was really great. Um, he realized very quickly that he was a sinner. It took me a long time to realize I was a sinner. Now I look back and think, how can I have been so stupid? You know, but it took me a while. It took me a good few years. I was living with my wife. We were married. Don't you get the wrong idea about us, you know. Uh, we were married and she was a Christian and I wasn't. And when I look at her life at that time, when I look back on it, bless her heart, she was living the life of the saints. And I was doing just what was considered ordinary, but I realized what a sinner I was in my thinking and what I was doing. And here was a man who immediately became aware that he was a sinner. And he received his calling from God at that time as well. Come with me, Jesus says, I'll make you a fisher of men. Isn't it great that not only did he realize he was a sinner and could ask for salvation almost immediately after encountering Jesus, but also he knows what his calling is in life. I've been a Christian now since 1980. What's that, 39 years, is it? Nearly 40? Yeah, nearly 40 in the spring. Oh, I have a party, really, don't I? Yeah, nearly 40 years. It took me 35 years to find out what my calling was, which is not strictly true. I did know that one of my callings was to look after my family. That was very important and to do my job well. But to know what God wanted me to do with my life took a long time to figure out. But I'm okay. 35 years. Five years ago, I was 62. Um, I suppose Moses didn't know until, what was it, Steve, 70? Was he 70? Put you on the spot this morning, haven't I? Yeah? He's not listening. No. I knew that. Yeah, he, gave me, he gave me such a warm welcome. He said, I'm so keen to hear you speak. And he's not listening. <laughs> uh, that's all right. I can forgive you. You're from the Northwest. My background, my background's the Northwest as well. So there's an affinity there, I feel it. And, and, gee, and of course, the other thing about Peter, one of the other things, is that he had a special place in that inner circle. He was there, you know, with the original three, James, John and Peter. He is in that close circle of Jesus. And the other thing about him, you watch as his time uh, goes by over those years. He's seen very clearly, if you read the scriptures, read the gospels, look at what's happening. He comes and stands out, if you like, as a leader amongst the disciples. Whether he was officially a leader, there's nothing there that indicates it. But at the end of the day, he comes across to someone who's strong, that people are going to follow. And indeed, they do follow him. 
He goes fishing. They go with him. He comes away from fishing. They walk away. He goes back. They go back with him. He's somebody who gets people to follow him. He inspires people. And indeed, we know later on, after the death of Jesus and the resurrection, he becomes one of the, or the main leader in, in Jerusalem itself. So he was a leader. And the other thing was, he had a true revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, I can't comment too much about the other disciples, because in a sense, there's not too much written about them in some places. Some you hardly get to mention at all. But he had this true revelation. He was the first one to recognize that Jesus was the Son of God. So in the ministry, in that three years that Jesus walked in his ministry, he was a prominent player. He was close to Jesus. He was a leader of the others. He'd had his spiritual experience very early on, right at the beginning, and he knew who Jesus was. But there's some odd things about, uh, about uh, Peter. I have to say at this point, he's my favourite character in the Bible. And if you like, the reason I like him is because he's so flawed, isn't he? You know, he's always getting himself in a muddle. He's always saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing. My wife said to me when I was talking to her about it, you know, you say that about his life, and it's true, she said. What's the thing you like about him the best? I said, I love that bit where he cuts someone's ear off. She said, oh, Chris, that's horrible. I said, yeah, but I can imagine how he must have felt. You're going to threaten my Lord? Out comes an eye, boom. You know? She looked at me and went in the other room. She hid the kitchen knives up. You know, it's, it's strange how these things might affect you. But here's some of the things that might describe Peter. A spokesperson, if you like, or the leader of disciples. I think he was certainly a bold man. He was a bold man. But sometimes the boldness that comes across in what he does also comes across as impulsive. And maybe even comically impulsive. Comically impulsive. Because he's always getting it wrong. But his heart's in the right place, I would argue. His heart's in it. In saying that, and I never like to criticise any of the disciples, or indeed hardly anybody in the Bible, unless it's there in black and white, that they indeed deserve some form of criticism, and God himself criticises them or passes judgment on them. I'm not fond of doing this. But I've got to say that Peter sometimes comes across as a little bit immature. You know, immature. And he's been with them three years at this stage, and he's still acting in a relatively immature way. And the other thing he can be, which is also frustrating, because I find this with Paul as well at times, he can come across as a little bit arrogant and boastful. Yeah? Now some of you are sitting here, how dare you say that about Peter? Well, it's just the thoughts that have come to me. You know? And that's how it comes across in what I read. And what it says to me overall is that he was a complex character. A complex character. You know, we can see the last two things there, the immature, the arrogant and boastfulness, three things, in verses 27 and 28. But you can also see it elsewhere, so it's not just that one example that makes me say that. If you have your Bibles with you and you want to follow me in this, that would be great. But I'm having to look at Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 and 22. So Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 and 22, it says this, 
From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go down to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You, have not, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely humans' concerns. So it wasn't the first time that he's gone against what Jesus has said. Why? Well, we'll have a look at that in a moment or two. But he was this complex character. And his personality often got the better of him. How many of you are like that? Now you might think, no, I'm quite a simple soul. I often say that to my wife. I said, look, I'm a simple man. And she looked at me, she said, you are not a simple man. You are a complex man. And a very difficult man. And uh, I think, that's great. I'm a lot like Peter, really, aren't I? It's all right. I've been practicing that, by the way. That's the Liam Gallagher swagger. I feel like Oasis. I'm getting better at it. Getting better at it. He was a complex man. And he defied Jesus. And the bit that intrigues me about that piece in Matthew is when he says, he took him aside and began to rebuke him. I mean, you've got to be a bit arrogant to try and do that, haven't you? Or to do that. This is Jesus. And this is someone he knows is the Son of God. Incredible, isn't it? Incredible. I don't know about you, but if Jesus was here right now and talking to me about things that were going to happen, whether I like it or not, I'm not sure I would ever rebuke him. I might ask for an explanation, perhaps. Why has that got to happen? Why has this got to be? But rebuke? Wow. There's a slight, well, a great sense of arrogance in that. So here we have Peter. Here we have Peter. Uh, My hero, but, well... A complex man, let's put it like that. So let's have a little look, shall we, at the denial. If you look at, um, if you take a look for a moment, um, we see in the earlier verses, I'll just come back to him here, forgive me, in the earlier verses where uh, Jesus predicts Peter's denial, um, you will all fall away. So he doesn't just say it's going to be Peter, he says you're all going to fall away. That must be so discouraging when Jesus says that to you. You're passionately in love with him. You're committed to him. You've made this resolution to follow him. And your heart is in everything you're doing for him. And he says, you're going to fall away. You're going to fall away. It must really hurt. But it's the truth. We do all fall away at times. We do have those moments of doubt, of difficulty, disobedience where we choose to go our way and not his way. And we fall away. But Peter declares, even if all fall away, I will not. Now whether that's confidence or arrogance, I suggest it's probably a combination of the two. He feels confident. I will never fall away. I will never, ever leave you. I think there's also some arrogance in there. Because he doesn't understand at that point that he is human and sinful and the whole reason Jesus came is that he knew he was going to fall away he knew he would sin again and that's why he's here for him and for us so 
he turns around and he says, even if I fall away, others fall away, I will not. And then after Jesus says to him, before the cock crows twice, you will disown me. Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. I think Peter would be prepared to die for his Lord. He did eventually die for his Lord. He was martyred. But when the crunch came, and he was faced with the reality... Was he prepared to do it? But as we've seen already through the reading, no. No. He doesn't deny Jesus before people with authority like the high priest or the Pilate or any of the Pharisees, but he denies him before ordinary people. There's something strange about that. How come it's the higher up people, if you like, that are doing all the accusing that are doing all the threatening, they have the power to do harm, but he actually denies them to the working class people at the time, the people out in the streets, out in the, in the courtyard. How strange that. I want to take a look for a moment about why he did deny it. Have a look at Luke chapter 22, verse 55, if you would. Luke chapter 22, verse 55. Marked and it's gone. But when they had kindled the fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him. You see, he wasn't just running around trying to get away. A time had come when all the kerfluffle that he'd actually decided to sit down because he was cold, contemplate what was happening and sit beside the fire. But there's something very interesting about this. He was actually sitting in the wrong place. And the reason I say that is this. Instead of running, as the other disciples clearly did, to get away and then regrouping he ran straight into the midst of the very people who were against Jesus he ran into the arms if you like of the enemy and he found comfort amongst them he was with the wrong people at the wrong time about to do the wrong thing and I think there's a great lesson in this in Psalm 1 verse 1 it said Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockery. A powerful verse right at the beginning of the Psalms. And it's a warning to us all and should have been a warning to Peter. You are in more danger, I would argue, the more you spend time in the midst of those who are against you, who are against Jesus. I'm not saying in that that we shouldn't evangelize to those people who do not know the Lord. But there's a difference in evangelizing them than as it says in the Psalms, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockery. He was in the wrong place at the wrong time. 
He'd put himself in danger, really. Any port in a storm, you might say. There was a fire. He wanted to be warm. So he sat himself down in the courtyard with the very people who were against Jesus. And immediately they witnessed who he was and confronted him. Wrong place. Wrong time. About to say the wrong thing. You see, all of us are capable of sin. I don't have to tell you that at all. All of us are capable of getting it wrong at some point. All of us are capable of going against the resolution that we made that we would follow Jesus Christ through everything that happens. But we are all still weak. We're all still vulnerable. And at this point in time, he was weak and he was vulnerable. I'm certain he was fearful. I'm certain he was fearful for his life. The very thing that he said he would give for Jesus, that he'd lay down his life. He'd die with him. When the crunch came, he couldn't bring himself to do that. Couldn't bring himself to do it. Now, I'm not here to condemn Peter, I'm not. Because I know full well I am just as weak as he is, if not weaker. I can be just as foolish. I can be just as stupid. I can find myself in the wrong place at the wrong time, saying the wrong things. And I have done. And what happens afterwards? Like Peter, I have wept because of who I am and what I've just done. This is a man, when people look at this passage and say, how could he do this? Why did he do it? Need to think again. It's a bit like he without sin throw the first stone. Because all of us, I would argue, are capable in one situation, one place, or one event, to actually do what Peter did. The pressure was on. Pressure was on. I found myself in that situation only a few weeks ago. And I look back, I don't know what happened to me. I don't know what happened to me. I was with a friend of mine in a cafe, and uh, he was giving out the cards for people to come to NCBC for the carol service. And I'd had mine, and I'd given mine out. We sat in this cafe, and suddenly some guy turned around and he said, I wouldn't waste a moment of my time in a church. And my friend turned around and he said, could you tell me why? And he started to tell him, and he was blaspheming every other word. And he called our pastor, who he doesn't know every name that you could think of knowing. He called all ministers out as if they were the Antichrist. He really went on. And my friend was getting troubled, and he found himself in difficulty in terms of trying to make the case. What did I do? Nothing to help him at all what I could have done and I drank my tea and I said I'll see you later and went do you know I'm going to tell you something Marion I'm going to be called off today I'm so ashamed of myself when I did that I thought to myself I'm not really sure I should be preaching the gospel but I knew what I was going to be preaching on isn't that ironic that I knew I was going to be preaching about Peter I'd made that decision weeks ago Marion was shocked. I was that prepared in their email. Yeah, you're doing well. Yeah, I went out and did exactly what he did. 
I didn't actually deny Jesus, but I didn't defend him either. I didn't defend the church. I didn't help my brother. I walked up to St. Andrew's car park to get my car and I drove home. I didn't cry, but I could have done. I told my wife about it. And it's very rarely does she do this. She just actually looked at me and said nothing. And walked off into the kitchen. Later on I said to her, are you thinking what I think you're thinking? She said, what's that? I let my Lord down. She went, you have to answer that question. You have to answer it. I said, well, how do you feel about it? So I feel for you, because I know how much you're hurting. It's probably the best thing she could have said. So I know what it's like, and I'm sure you know what it's like, to be in that position like Peter, where the one resolution that we made, which should stand strong throughout time, throughout all of our lives, that we are still capable of breaking and putting in that big bin of the resolutions that never ever come to anything. I find it so sad. Why did he do it? Fear? Weakness? In a sense, you know, he was just a babe. Really? Through all that he'd seen? When I first became a Christian, I was 28. And at the time, over in Deerham, I came to be a Christian under the ministry of Stanley Hall. Some of you may remember Stanley Hall, some of you not. Most of you are too young, actually. Uh, but he was the minister there, and I became a Christian. I was a married man with three children. At 28, I came to the Lord, was baptised, and I was a prodigal. You know, I was the man in the church. Because that didn't happen very often. Yes, youngsters came through, and sometimes older people. But a 28-year-old man, quite a worldly man, comes to the Lord. And I was invited out here, there, and everywhere to give my testimony. You know? Rolled out. You know? And uh, I loved it. I loved it. I was the centre of attention. And you know what happened? I became arrogant and I plummeted. I became smug and I plummeted. My wife said to me some years later, he said, they'd forgotten that you were a baby. You were a 28-year-old Christian baby. All this attention that was being showered on you went to your head. You didn't have the skills, you didn't have the gifts, you didn't have the teaching, you didn't have the mentoring, the discipleship to help you through that process. Yeah? Three years went by, I probably wasn't any further forward. Ten years went by, I knew a bit more. You know the story that goes on after that. Where am I now? I'm probably about 12. I like to think maybe a little bit better than that, maybe you're older than that. What I'm trying to say here is, is that, in a sense, Peter was still a baby. Three years into being what we now know as a Christian. He was fearful. He was complex. He was afraid for his life, for the life of his friends, for the life of his Lord. And he stepped into an arena where there were no friends, where he was in the wrong place at the wrong time and said the wrong things. And he failed in that moment 
failed in that moment. And for some people, that's where they leave the story. But I can't leave it there because I think there's something else that happens. In fact, did happen even before that. Back in Matthew, in chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus says to Peter, And I also say to you, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not overpower. What a statement, what a promise, what a resolution. You're going to be the rock on which I build my church. You're going to be the rock. That's a heavy weight to carry around as well. Jesus never, ever, regardless of what happened, changed that. Never changed it. Let me read for you from John 21, verses 15 to 19. When they finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Feed my lambs. And he said it to him a second time, Simon, the son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, And Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands. Another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And this he said to show him what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after this he said this to him, follow me. This was after the resurrection. This was in the time when Jesus spent uh, on earth before he went to heaven. That promise he made to Peter way back in Matthew, regardless of what happened in Mark and indeed the other Gospels, when the denial took place, which we think is an abhorrent thing to do, to deny our Lord. Jesus' promise remained true. And Peter was honoured. Jesus hadn't forgot that. He forgave him and he restored him. And that's the great blessing that we all have that we can share in. And I think it's so important. Yes, we may fail. We make this wonderful resolution at the beginning of our time as Christians to the Lord Jesus Christ that we're going to follow him, we never let him down, never speak against him, do everything he wants us to do, and boom, we fail. Then we say it again, and we fail, and we say it again, we fail. But Jesus has made a promise to us that one day you'll be in heaven with me. One day you will share with me in heaven you'll worship forever we let him down he never lets us down never lets us down isn't that wonderful so what I'm going to do is challenge you I'm going to challenge you it is nearly New Year's I don't care about all these other resolutions you know ten pounds (laughs) how many is it going to be this year you know I don't care about all these other resolutions I'm not interested in them. With you, every one of you, what I am interested in is that resolution that you made to Jesus Christ, that you would follow him, that you would give everything to him, that you would never desert him, you'd never let him down, you'd never stray. That's what I'm interested in. That's what your pastor is interested in. That's the resolution that we should focus on year by year, day by day. 
hour by hour. But knowing that by the grace of God, if we do fall at any particular point, that He will lift us back up. He'll forgive us and above all else, He will restore us. Where are you with your resolution this year? You've already made it and if you've not, I'd encourage you to make it today. See your pastor afterwards. See one of the leaders. If you have not made that commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ, don't wait. Do not wait. But we've all made that resolution. But the time of the year is one where we don't need to think about others, just reflect on the one we've made. Where are we? And if need be, get down on our knees and pray for the Lord for forgiveness restoration and an outpouring of his love and his Holy Spirit on us so we can be who he wants us to be. Amen. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word, for what it can teach us, Lord, how it can lift us up, build us up. And we thank you for the promises that you've made us in your word, Lord that we will be with you in heaven for eternity. Father, we resolved, we made a resolution to follow you for the rest of our lives through thick and thin. And Lord, right now, we reconfirm that resolution. If we're not in the place we need to be, Lord, we pray right now that you will cleanse us, that you'll lift us up and you'll restore us, that we can soar, Lord, on the wings of eagles as we serve you. Bless each one of us, Lord, this morning. And may our new year be a fulfilling year for you, Lord. A year of love, a year of kindness, a year of service, and a year of blessing. Amen. Thank you.